Alleluia, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia. Let's pray together. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you, and also with you. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, who in the Paschal Mystery established the new covenant of reconciliation, grant that all who have been reborn into the fellowship of Christ's body may show forth in their lives what they profess by their faith. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. You letter Israelites, listen to what I have to say. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with deeds of power, wonders, and signs of God did through him. Among you, as you yourselves know, this man handed over to you according to the def definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of those outside the law. But God raised him up, having freed him from death, because it was impossible for him to be held by its power. For David says, concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. Moreover, my flesh will live in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One experience corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Fellow Israelites, I may say to you confidently of our ancestor David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn an oath to him, that he would put one of his descendants on his throne. Foreseeing this, David spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, saying, he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh experience corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that all of us are witnesses. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Protect me, O God, for I take refuge in you. I have said to the Lord, you are my Lord, my good above all other. All my delight is upon the godly that are in the land, upon those who are noble among the people. But those who run after other gods, shall have their troubles multiplied. Their libations of blood I will not offer, nor take the names of their gods upon my lips. O Lord, you are my portion and my cup. It is you who uphold my lot. My boundaries enclose a pleasant land. Indeed, I have a goodly heritage. 
I will bless the Lord who gives me counsel. My heart teaches me night after night. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not fail. My heart, therefore, is glad and my spirit rejoices. My body also shall rest in hope. For you will not abandon me to the grave, nor let your Holy One see the pit. You will show me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and in your right hand are pleasures forevermore. A lesson from 1 Peter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who are being protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, even if now for a little while you had to suffer various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold that, though perishable, is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Although you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy, for you are receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The word of the Lord. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but Was blind, but now.
gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But, Jesus said, but Thomas said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to Thomas, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Well, we begin now the 50 days of Easter that will take us all the way up to Pentecost, a time in which we're able to explore what resurrection meant for the disciples and what resurrection and new life might indeed mean for us. And sometimes um, we hear Jesus has come back from the dead and we're all too tempted to say, look, everything gets to go back the way it was. But in the story, that's not how it goes at all. Nothing is the same. What's really, really interesting to hear by theologians like Marcus Borg and John Dominic Crossan is that um, as much as we're interested in the historical Jesus, the disciples sure found a lot more compelling witness from the risen Jesus than the historical one. That is, their experience of Jesus after the cross, of him resurrected, is what really created the church and not just a regular following. So maybe it's helpful to hear that this story begins to start to unwind how resuscitation is a little different, in fact, very different from resurrection. People are resuscitated all the time. Uh, if you've ever seen a, a, a show like Grey's Anatomy, or certainly as a hospital chaplain, I got to see resuscitations where people's heart would stop, the paddles would come out, restart the heart, and their life would come back to them. They had died temporarily, but their life returned to them. Of course, what we all knew is that they would one day later, hopefully uh, many years down the road from that moment, would die again. When somebody's resuscitated, um, the marks of their wounds really sort of have to go away in order for them to have new life, whether that's a, a bullet hole or a heart that stopped beating. Resurrection is really different. In fact, in the Bible, only one person has been resurrected, and that's Jesus. The resurrected person, 
uh, dies, gets their life back, but in such a way as they will never die again. And curiously enough, their wounds don't go away, but are a permanent part of the resurrected body. I have to tell you, if I were making this story up, Jesus would have come back swarthy like Lou Ferrigno or Arnold Schwarzenegger. All of his wounds and injuries would be vanquished, and he would, in fact, be mighty to save in the ways I want him to. But that's not what this story says, and that's not what the Ascension says. The resurrected Jesus comes back, and even though he can walk through a wall, you know he's not a ghost because his disciples can touch him because he can eat. You know they didn't crucify the wrong guy because he's got the wounds. And you know he didn't just swoon and wake back up because his side is pierced up to his heart. And what's curious is that the resurrected Jesus makes it very apparent that he has died, that the death has not had the final word over his life. And Thomas, I think, is going to lead us to explore this image a little bit further. But first in the passage, what's great to hear for us who are having trouble imagining how resurrection and resuscitation can be different, just up front, the disciples aren't ready for it. Not only are they surprised when it happens, they're afraid. They've locked the door to keep people out because they decided, hey, life as they know it is over and can only get worse. God can use people like the disciples. God can certainly use and delight in us. If Jesus' own best friends who physically knew him don't always understand good news, we don't always have to get it for God to continue to try. In John, Jesus does something really interesting. The day he's resurrected is the day of Pentecost. Notice, he shows up and says, Peace be with you, and then... He blows on them. He gives them the Holy Spirit that day and not 50 days later. And really what he says is, hey, in this resurrected life, in this way of coming back from the dead in such a way that death is no longer going to define you, take a different kind of breath, a holy breath. This is not like finding a second wind when you're running. It's a totally different way of breathing, a totally different way of being entirely. More about that in a second. Today, though, we get to hear the story of our own patron saint, who unfortunately has recently been called Doubting Thomas, but I would put to you is the patron saint of the scientific method. Uh, Thomas, it turns out, was so associated with Jesus, so like him, that the early church had a tradition that he was Jesus' twin. The story says it as well. This is Thomas the twin, and he is meant to be the figurative twin of Jesus. The disciples say, hey, Thomas, listen, um, Jesus came back. And Thomas, like any good scientist, says, let's have some replicable, repeatable results. I want to see it. And I don't just want to see it. I want to make sure it's real. I need to be able to touch. Jesus grants him his wish. He shows up and says, put your hand here in these wounds. Don't doubt, but trust. Trust that God's new life is possible 
even against all odds. We don't know in the story if Thomas does in fact touch the wounds. That's not clear, but I'd like to imagine that he does. And um, if you'll go with me for a second, I'm not convinced that Thomas wants to touch these wounds to verify Jesus has died. I don't think Thomas is looking to say, aha, now I know you tasted death and death is real. I think the truth is we all already know experience of death in our own lives. I'm not talking about our mortal bodies. I'm talking about moments of grief, of shame, of fear, of burnt down relationships, of failures that so often can define us for years to come. I think because we all know those things, that's not what Thomas is directly interested in. I think what Thomas wants to know is whether or not Jesus is just somebody who's come back and is going to go back to the way things were, or whether or not there is transformation possible. I think what Thomas wants to do is touch Jesus precisely at the points of death, and instead of feeling death in those wounds, to feel new life all around them. And I think that's the difference between resuscitation and resurrection. When we're resuscitated, we need our scars to close up as fast as possible to stanch the bleeding so that we don't continue to suffer and die again. But here in resurrection, it's not about closing wounds up so they don't show. It's that God's life is somehow available precisely in the places where we've been wounded and that those wounds don't go away and there is still life around them. So imagine, and this is part of what I get to do as a clergy person, um, getting to know people who have been married for more than 50 years. After 50 years of winding two harps together, it is often really difficult to know where one heart ends and the other begins. And so at the loss of a spouse, whether it's five years or 50, the process of grief is doing some of that unraveling and figuring out where we are. And boy, even though that hasn't been my experience personally, I have not lost my spouse. It is not hard to imagine that it is challenging, terrifying, and full of pain. And of course, we don't want that wound to go away because if the grief and the pain and the loss go away, so does our spouse, so does our love, and so do we. You know, I think when we grieve properly, grieve properly, whether it's a person or a hope or a vision for ourselves, there is this fact that the wound will remain. The question is whether or not that wound will be shrouded by death or whether or not there can be new life around it. And that I put to you is the difference between resuscitation and resurrection. And I think what Thomas wants to know, can there be new life in places of shame, fear, hurt? And what does it look like? And how do we be agents of it? After all, Jesus says to them, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. I don't have a great answer on what this process looks like. 
But I do think this is the process God is calling us to explore as disciples. And uh, maybe an analog is a wonderful quote by C.S. Lewis. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. Jesus, I think, guides us that resurrection is predicated on vulnerability, on opening our hearts to other people, knowing we can't control the outcome, knowing, in fact, that we cannot stop ourselves from being hurt when we do it. And the resurrected Jesus doesn't close that hurt and make it go away. He carries it with him. And somehow in those moments of injury and rejection and pain, those are not the last words, but there is new life around them. And we're meant to be agents of that. Not to throw our lives away, but to open them to one another. So I always have this vision that the best pastoral care happens when somebody who has lost their spouse years ago and learned to deal with grief and loss and sorrow and has begun to find new life in the middle of their loss says to the newly bereaved, reach out your hand and put it in my loss. I'm wounded too, and there's life to be had here. Reach out and let me share not only my empathy with you, but my compassion. Let me help carry you and bear witness to new life in these moments. That's really, really different from sharing our sympathy with one another and from trying to talk each other out of the feelings of vulnerability and loss that we have because we're too afraid to bear them. I used to belong to a parish in which there were at least five people in a group of 200 people, five people who had each put their children at one point into um, residential treatment for mental illness, um, for suicide, for substance abuse. I was the only one who knew they'd done that because, of course, it was too scary to be vulnerable with anybody else. These parents knew that if they shared, they would be judged. And not just judged, but condemned. Oh, your child's not happy? You must be a failure as a parent. Oh, your child's not getting good grades? That's because you're not strict enough. Your child has substance abuse problems? Must have learned it at home. But of course, these people sat like the disciples shut up in the rooms of their despair with the doors locked. They were waiting for somebody to walk in and say, put your finger in my hand and feel the life around my own wounds. Or even, they were just waiting for somebody to say, you know, I've had kids, I've had my own struggles. I know what it's like to struggle. Tell me what it's like to struggle for you. 
and how can I support and carry you right now because I know you're doing the best you can. These are scary, scary things to do because our entire self-worth, our ability to walk into a room and not have people talk behind our back is so often predicated on us covering up these wounds, pretending like they didn't happen. Of course, we know that no one is going to share their wounds when they know that they're going to be judged. So the question is, as a resurrected community, how do we bear witness that God is not found in invulnerability, but in vulnerability that is transformed from wounds into roses? Part of it, I suppose, depends on whether or not we're satisfied as God is with who we are. There are things in my life now that I sure wish I could change, decisions made, ways I've been treated by others. But maybe this story is an opportunity to say, despite all of my mistakes, they had made me who I am. God is grateful for that person. Can I be? So, as much as I'm tempted to say, yeah, I wish I'd gone to a bigger university or a different seminary that would have afforded me more opportunities or a different group of friends, I am who I am because of where I chose to go. And God is deeply grateful and in love with that person. So I ought to follow suit. Because God is not made perfect without blemish, God's love is perfected in wounds that are shrouded with life. Sometimes, perhaps this might mean that we're invited to struggle into what Anne Lamont says about forgiveness. Forgiveness is giving up all hope of having had a different past. We're able to give up all hope of having had a different past when we're grateful for who we've become. Sometimes I think one of our biggest blockers to being reconciled with people who have hurt us or to reconciling with people we've hurt is our inability to put the past away or at least behind us where it ought to go so that we can live into a new future. Some of you know that I have a dear family member uh, who now struggles deeply with dementia. This family member um, I spent a lot of time with when I was young, and they were extremely verbally abusive. And I'll tell you, there came a really, really tough resurrection moment for me when this person got dementia because I was never going to get the apology I deserved. I was never going to get have the ability for that person to tell me they were sorry for what they'd said to me and that they realized all the damage and hurt that they'd caused. And I still struggle with some of that. It's not going to go away. And then a resurrection moment showed up when five years into their Alzheimer's diagnosis, this person looked at me and said, boy, you're absolutely perfect. I can tell you that was not initially a reconciliation moment. It was a moment of anger and frustration. Where did that person get off telling me that? when for years they'd only highlighted how I'd fallen short. If I made a 98 on a test, it was, what'd you miss? Now, here was this person telling me when I knew I had things unpresentable to them, 
that I was somehow perfect and always had been. It took me a couple of months to think that maybe, maybe this person for the first time in their life had actually find, found the words that they'd always wished they could have said. I don't know if that's true, but I will tell you that's where I'm trying to find in the middle of my own woundedness some of this new life. And I'm given the choice to trust whether or not that is the most authentic thing that person has ever said to me, or the least. And in that middle of trust, I have to choose, do I believe in resuscitation, or do I believe to walk in the resurrection? It means walking through some walls that I've erected. It means that unlike uh, closing wounds completely and pretending like I haven't suffered, it means walking not into uh, a lack of woundedness and perfection and invulnerability, but to actually being vulnerable. It means instead of ceasing conflict, to walk into peace. And that's what Jesus bids us do. I don't know where you need new life in your life. I don't know where you're holding out for resurrection instead of resuscitation. To be honest, most of the time I would just take resuscitation if I could have anything. But I do know right now, in the midst of the way we're living as a country, we're going to be offered at some point some new life. We don't know when it's going to be. And I'm going to tell you, I hope we don't go back to the way things were. I hope when we go back, we'll go back with deep gratitude. We'll go back with an opportunity to have reflected on our values and to live into them more deeply. I hope we'll go back with, an, with a sense of how deep and important community and worship are. And I hope, therefore, that wounds don't just close up, but they're reminders for us on our way of where new life can continue to be grown into, how we can continue to pursue resurrection. And I sure do hope that we as a community and we as human beings will be able to grow into this vision of offering up our wrists and our feet and our side to one another as we support new life in one another as we hear from God and live into God and live as Jesus has lived with one another and offer not just an end and silence and quiet but offer peace and offer resurrection please join me as we pray our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed we believe in one God the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only child of God, eternally begotten of the Father. God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate of the Virgin Mary and was made human. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. 
He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and God's kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, she is worshipped and glorified. She has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. With all our heart and with all our mind, let us pray to the Lord. I ask your prayers for God's people throughout the world, for all people and ministers, for the priests in our community, Mike, Craig, Bill, and Lillian, and for our bishops, Andy, Hector, Jeff, and Kay. In the diocesan cycle of prayer, Palmer Memorial, Houston, Redeemer, Houston, and San Pablo, St. Paul's, Houston. For Justin, the Archbishop of Canterbury, and for our presiding Bishop, Michael. Pray for the church. I ask your prayers for all who govern and hold authority in the nations of the world, for the members of the armed forces, and for all who struggle for peace and justice, that they may act with prudence and vision to plant the seeds of your kingdom everywhere. Pray for justice and peace. I ask your prayers for our parish and our vestry, that the source of wisdom may guide us, the source of strength may support us, and the source of love may unify us. Pray that our community may discern clearly and minister effectively. I ask your prayers for St. Thomas the Apostle School, that those who teach and those who learn may rejoice in the knowledge of your truth, that we may teach our students to love whatever is just and true and good. Pray that we may be bearers of God's grace to all who come through our doors. I ask your prayers for the poor, the sick, the hungry, the oppressed, and those in prison. Pray for those in any need or trouble. I ask your prayers for all who seek God or a deeper knowledge of God. Pray that they may find and be found by God. I ask your prayers for the departed. Pray for those who have died, especially Gloria. Let us give thanks for our blessings and pray for our own needs and those of others, especially Chris, Britta, Jerry, Kirsten and Maya, Sean, Jerome, Susie, Ruth, Jody, Judy, and Ted. The congregation is invited to name their own celebrations or petitions, silently or aloud. O Lord, our God, accept the fervent prayers of your people. In the multitude of your mercies, look with compassion upon us and all who turn to you for help. For you are gracious, O lover of souls, and to you we give glory, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
now and forever. Amen. of the Lord be always with you and also with you. And now as our Lord and Savior Christ has taught us, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. May God the Father, who has redeemed us and made us children of God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, bestow upon you new joy, the riches of God's favor. May God, the Holy Spirit, who through the waters of baptism has raised us from sin and in the newness of life, lead you into the mission and holiness of being God's own forever. Amen. May Jesus, who has brought us out of bondage to sin and into true and lasting freedom as our Redeemer, guide you to live into your eternal inheritance. Amen. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be upon you this day and remain with you forever. Amen. Alleluia, alleluia. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God. Alleluia, alleluia. Jesus said.